she scopes me and says, you need to go to the emergency room um, immediately. Your airway, your trachea is the size of a pinch off coffee straw. Welcome back to the second episode of Beyond the Picket Fence with Chelsea. You guessed it, I'm Chelsea. This episode, I'm so excited. It's my first real interview. So to break the ice, I decided to interview my sister. My sister's name is Holly Brown. She is the owner of the Parlor Hair and Body Salon in Safford, Arizona. And she has been in the hair industry for over 20 years. Um, She is a wife and a mother of three kids. And she finds joy in empowering and uplifting women, myself included. Normally, as I would start off these episodes explaining how I know these people, um, I know Holly. I've known her my whole life because she is my oldest sister. (laughs) So I decided to start this episode off with sharing some fun memories we have of when I was little. So let's get into it. My first memory that I can think of is when Aunt Charlotte cut your hair in mom's bathroom in the snowflake house. It wasn't Aunt Charlotte. No? Oh, Aunt Debbie, Aunt Debbie. Is that who it was? Okay. Yes. I wanted my haircut to look like Aunt Charlotte. Oh, and she hadn't, and you hadn't seen my Aunt Charlotte who had just gotten like a pixie cut, right? Right. The last time I had seen her, her it was like. Down to her shoulders or down. (laughs) Anyway, so my aunt chopped off all of Holly's hair and she was screaming and crying. I don't think screaming, <laughs> just Very crying. Dramatic. It was dramatic. I was little. Probably was screaming, actually. <laughs> You're so <laughs> sad. Oh. And then my other memory, actually, now that reminds me of another hair memory with you, uh, is that remember when everyone was curling your hair with those little tiny curling irons for prom? Do you remember oh, that? Oh, yeah. Their the dad was curling. Mom was curling. Chris, Uncle Chris, Uncle Thomas Chris. was curling. I yep. was curling and we only ended up doing half of my hair and putting the rest of it in a bun tucked underneath. And it took three hours. And you looked like a poodle. It didn't even look good. It did not look good. Uh, if you don't know, my sister Holly is a hairdresser. So it's funny that I remember all of these hair stories. Oh, uh, I had so much hair trauma allowed me to doing hair. So we have two sisters in between us. I don't really remember doing a lot together growing up, but I do remember as I got older, um, you ca- I kind of just like watched you live life and learned a lot from you. Well, it was enough with the fun and games and reminiscing. I was really ready to get into the nitty gritty. So I asked Holly what was one of the first things that had been hard for her in her life. And it turns out when she was a senior, my parents uprooted us and moved us to Holbrook, about 30 minutes away from where we were at. And it was her senior year. And she had all the normal teenager, hard to make friends, that kind of stuff. But Holly had a little bit more to deal with her senior year on top of everything else. April or May of my senior year, she had. Yeah, the she in this story, her best friend, Emily. She had moved to Utah because her dad was a summer teacher and got transferred to Ephraim, Utah, over by Manti, Utah. We were like best, best friends. And she was over there. I went and visited her a, a couple of summers and we stayed in touch and kind of lost touch a little bit during my senior year just because I had moved to Holbrook and kind of just like lost touch with everybody. I kind of just was so mad that I had moved. I just kind of wanted to forget everybody in Snowflake. But yeah, she was in a car accident our senior year right before her graduation. And I think she got in a car accident and passed away on impact mm-hmm. in the car accident on her way home from school. And her graduation invitations, I think, were mailed out like a few days before that. So everybody oh, actually gosh. got her graduation invitation and she was wearing all white mm-hmm. and looked like an angel. But she was definitely someone. It was a huge example to me, but that was really, that was probably my first like real, real time dealing with someone that I knew and loved um, passing away that, you know, that I could remember. Yeah. 
I don't really remember it because I was so little, but I do like every time you tell your story, it always impacted me how I didn't realize that was after you had moved to Holbrook. Mm-hmm. Like uh, aligning your timeline with my timeline is really interesting because I was just yeah. like in third grade. <laughs> yeah. So I know you have a lot more stories. I don't know how many people know about Blaze. Um, but Blaze mm-hmm. is, is my sweet nephew, my favorite friend. I used to babysit him and I turned him into a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> making like little gremlins in the wall noises with him <laughs> uh, Lady Gaga he'll bring up Lady Gaga every now and then too like I love Lady Gaga and then I'm like why do you like because Chelsea loves Lady Gaga I do love Lady Gaga <laughs> I can't remember what it was but we were like we are talking like this in the wall and then he's like yes the boy in the wall, wall. <laughs> the boy in the wall so creepy yeah, so when I I um, got into some trouble in high school, I had to live with Holly for a little while, and then I moved in with Holly after I graduated, and I kind of, I don't know, watched your kids, finger quotes, but really, it was just super fun to, to live with you, and then I feel like this is kind of when everything starts. So will you just tell your story of all of the craziness that happened in the last 10 years? It's a whole <laughs> roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, like like eight years. So I feel like our life was pretty, I've always kind of dealt with like anxiety and depression. So that's kind of been an underlining thing that I've always kind of struggled with. I'm pretty sure I had anxiety when I was little, but we just didn't know what it was because people just didn't talk about it. So like, that's kind of been a little bit hard in like my marriage in general and just like anxiety and depression and trying to figure that out. But so like, before you go on, what is that? what does anxiety feel like for you? Cause I feel like it's different for everyone. We have anxiety really bad in our family. Um, so I'm just interested to know what does that feel like to you? I get shortness of breath. I feel like things are like I'm getting closed in on panicky, um, guilty. Like I, like an underlining guilty feeling my, it can make my stomach hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, my like racing thoughts, yeah. And then I do have panic attacks. I grew in, grew into getting more like panic attacks. Although I'm probably, probably sure I had panic attacks, which is why I was so dramatic about the hair situation probably was having a <laughs> panic attack. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Hindsight 2020. <laughs> yeah. Right. But that was kind of, that wasn't really, it didn't feel like over well, like overwhelming. Like it felt hard while I was going through it, but like pretty much our life was pretty easy. Like I had healthy kids. I was healthy. I was pretty in shape. Jeff was healthy. He was pretty in shape. Like, even though we like live paycheck to paycheck, we always had what we needed. Nothing really felt too difficult or too hard. We just kind of, you know, just felt like we were blessed and looked at other families, you know, like we're just so grateful, you know, for the family that we have. And we, we're living in Queen Creek for a few years. So we moved back up to Thatcher, I think in like probably June and in November. So Titan was getting ready to start first grade when we moved. Blaze was getting ready to start kindergarten in the following year because they're two years apart in school. In November, so August, Titan started first grade. November, um, we decided that we were going to try having another kid because it had been five years. I have really awful pregnancies. They're just really hard, really, really sick from the beginning. So we decided I took my IUD out in November. We decided we were going to start trying to have another baby. November rolls around, nothing. December, nothing. January, nothing. February, nothing. March, nothing. Which was fine, like fine. I just figured it would happen when it happens. And then in April of 2013, we just had a really hard month because my husband's brother passed away, and that was pretty hard. He was pretty close with my kids and lived in town next to us. And so they had really gotten to know him pretty good. And then a few weeks later, my son Blaze started having these really random seizures called gelastic seizure, which is like a laughing seizure. It's pretty crazy. So we had to ambulance him over to a children's hospital in Mesa. And luckily we found a really great neurologist right, right away. He took us on right away. He was Dr. Cook and he was fabulous. You were in town for something. 
And I remember mm-hmm. that first, like we were in church and Blaze just started like laughing really loud and we're all like, be quiet, shh, we're at church. But, and then we looked in his eyes and we realized like, it was, it was really the weirdest thing because he was literally laughing. And I feel like he had done that laugh for a long time before we ever noticed. So at what point did you decide to take him in? Like, when did you realize it wasn't a laugh and it was a seizure? Well, he, he started doing that. I mean, he's always been a goofball, so it's been hard, but like two weeks after Todd passed away, Blaze would be in a dead sleep, like taking a nap. And I'd just be like watching movie next to him because he wasn't in school yet. And Mm -hmm. I was just working part-time doing hair and he would sit straight up and just start laughing hysterically. And I'd look at him and I'd be like, cause his eyes looked like he was in pain. Yeah, I remember. It was so, it's so sad. And it was just weird. And so that happened a couple of times. I kept telling Jeff, there's something weird going on with Blaze. I feel like he's having these weird dreams or something. And we just kind of kept, you know, pushing up the side. And t- Jeff had not seen any of them until we went up for that Easter. And mom slept out on the couch with all of the kids. And she didn't say anything until after. But Blaze was doing that all night, like sitting up, laughing uncontrollably looking like he was in a panic or in pain and then laying back down. And I just, I kept like, I knew that it was happening, but I just didn't know what I was like. Maybe he's having night terrors. I, you know, I don't know what, maybe he's just being goofy. I don't know. And it happened twice at church. One where he laughed really loud and the other one where he like stood up because he was sitting back behind us, stood up and then ran in front of us Mm -hmm, and like, like was like laughing and Jeff was like, what the heck? And that was like the first time that Jeff had really seen it happen. I was yeah. like, what the heck was that? And I said, that looks like some kind of weird seizure. And Jeff's like, don't say things like that. And not even thinking that it could actually be a it's seizure. Crazy. Mother's Anyways, intuition is pretty amazing. <laughs> right. So then we, you know, we're in Mace, we're already in Queen Creek, but we decided to drive home and as we're driving home, it's happening like every 20 minutes. Titan's freaking out. I'm uh, freaking out because it's like constant. We get home. Jeff gives him a blessing. And I'm like, he's possessed because it was getting scary. It was He was looking like he was terrified and he couldn't sleep. And so finally at like two o'clock in the morning, like we got home from Mesa, I think, because we kept pulling over because Titan was freaking out because it was scary. We pulled over and, you know, just tried to figure out what was going on. And I was texting one of my nurse friends, like, what the heck could this be? And she's like, I don't know what that is. She's like, it sounds like it could be some kind of seizure. Anyway, so we get home, we lay him in his bed and then we come to bed and I'm like, I'm not sleeping. This is like giving me the creepiest vibes. And all of a sudden, Blaze pops up on his bed and starts bouncing and laughing, like, uncontrollably. Time starts crying. So uh-huh. we're like, we got to bring Blaze into our room. So we brought Blaze into our room, laid him down on a little sofa bed that we had. And, like, I'm like, I am not sleeping. I was scared because he was freaking me out. It was creepy. Yeah. Anyways, and all of a sudden, he jumps on our bed and is, like, over top of us, like, laughing and staring at us and, like, looking, like, so desperate in his eyes. And so... Like, help me. I was like, that's it. We're... T- yeah, that's it. We're taking him to the hospital. So, we took him to the hospital at, like, 2 o'clock in the morning. The nurse was a little dismissive. I was checking us in and said, he's probably just having a bad dream. And I said, no, this is more than a bad dream. Something's not right. And he goes, well, we'll see what it is. This actually happens a lot where you have to be your child's advocate. So many times in the hospital, I did have to stand up and and do what Jackson needed done. I don't think it's the medical professional's fault. They just do this every day and they see so many things. And so often it does turn out to be something normal or small. So as a mother, I see it is so important to make sure and fight for what your child needs. So we get him back there. They hook him up to heart monitor and he's starting to have like heart murmurs. And so they're like, does he have a heart murmur? And I said, no, but his heart rate would be fine. And then all of a sudden he'd have, it would start going up really, really high. And then he'd have that laughing fit. Anyways, long story short, my brother-in-law messaged us and he says, I think he has something called gelastic seizures, a laughing seizure. So he showed that to the ER doctor, the ER doctor called Cardin Children's Hospital And luckily the first neurologist that they talked to was Dr. Cook, who ended up being a huge lifesaver. He's so knowledgeable. He's retired now, 
but just a complete lifesaver. And so that sounds like what it is. Bring him up here. So Jeff and him rode in an ambulance to Mesa. I drive myself up there where we ended up staying in the hospital. They thought maybe he had a tumor because that's generally what's linked to these gelastic seizures. They didn't see anything on any of the scans. And I remember Dr. Cook pulling us to the side and just saying, this is probably the longest and hardest road you're ever going to be on. There's the brain is so, so complicated. He's like, I've been doing this for like over 50 years and I still only know like 2% of what the brain is about. Oh my gosh. So he just said, it's going to be a long, hard road with not a lot of answers and not a lot of treatment options. But luckily, like as you go along on this road, there's going to be more and more advances that you're going to be able to, you know, um, experience. There's no straight course mm-hmm. of treatment. It's just going to be long and hard. And I am so grateful that he did that because it just helped me, I think, process it. And like we tried, you know, several different medicines within the first year and then just kind of every medication that we tried has, has a different side effect. Are you keeping up? So her husband's brother just passed away. Her son's been having these crazy seizures that they're trying to figure out what's going on. And little does Holly know, she is newly pregnant with her third daughter, sweet baby Raven. And remember how she said she has awful pregnancies? So we tried to get on insurance with Blaze, like access, but I made like $38 too much Mm. to qualify for that, for access to get everything paid for. So none of anything was paid for, for Blaze's hospitals. We were in there for like eight days, an ambulance Uh. ride, MRIs, CAT scans, medication, like all of it. Anyways, so we're just like, we don't know know what we're going to do. So that was April. So May 2nd or 3rd, I'm like, not feeling great. And so I take a pregnancy test and I'm like freaking pregnant. So I'm like, great. Then got really, really sick with that pregnancy. And basically was put on bed rest at like 12 weeks. So I quit my job trying to take care of Blaze, get all of his stuff situated. And I am extremely sick, like more sick than I've ever been with a pregnancy. And I'm pretty sick with a pregnancy, but like not able to keep anything down. Smells are really bothering me. Um, I just, well, it was really bad, really, really bad. Could not function hardly at all. In August, uh, I started having breathing complications with, you know, anytime I try to get up to go do things, I feel like I was going to pass out and I sounded like Darth Vader. And I kept telling my OB, you know, I'm throwing up blood. I'm passing out when I'm throwing up. Um, and I'm having breathing problems and these really bad migraines and just like uncontrollable nausea, like just literally like throwing up all day, not keeping anything down. Hmm. And I remember thinking, cause everyone's pregnancies are so hard and we're so sick. I remember hearing you breathe and watching you walk around. I'm like, dang, she's so dramatic. She's like, (gasps) like it was really bad. (laughs) It was so bad. My biggest problem is I always think like, even with everything with our little sister, I'm always like, they're so, they're such fakers being so dramatic. So that is my one thing that I'm like, I will never, if someone says that their toe hurts and it's going to fall off, I will believe them because I've done <laughs> thinking people are over dramatic. Cause every time yeah. I think that I'm wrong, everybody thought that, like, I know my, I, Jeff later on admitted that he thought I was just being a little like over dramatic and I didn't want to work. And I was like, no, cause I'd never heard anyone like breathe my, like that. It was, yeah, it was ridiculous. And my OB was just like, I don't know. You probably have asthma. And my, my family doctor had delivered Titan and he knew how sick I was. So I made an appointment with him and I just told him like, Hey, something is going on. The OB is not really taking me serious. Anytime I have anything serious, he's like, just go to the hospital, get an IV. You'll be fine. Whatever. Let them give you some fenugrin through an IV and you'll be fine. And I was like, man, I need like a pump of medicine being pumped into me 24 seven, because I am not living. I started that pregnancy, I think at like maybe 155. And I was like 130. Oh my gosh. At this point. Yeah. And you were pregnant. 
I think I was 22 weeks when I went and saw a doctor right the first time. So he prescribed me like an inhaler and did like a blood, he did a blood draw on me and got the results back and called me in immediately. I didn't know he was testing me for cancer, like checking my white blood cell count to see mm-hmm. how it was. Cause he thought I might have throat cancer or something because of the way that I was breathing. Wow. I didn't know Anyways, that. Anyways. Yeah. So he said, how's the inhaler working? And I was like, it's not doing anything. And I said, I feel like it just stops right here. Like, I feel like it's not getting into my lungs. And I said, my chest doesn't hurt. It's like all this, like, I feel like I'm being choked from the inside out. Anyways, I think I was like 26 weeks at this point. I tried like steroids and I tried breathing treatments and I tried uh, inhaler and it just wasn't helping. And so finally he was like, okay, you have C-sections. We need to get this figured out before you have your C-section. So he's like, I'm going to refer you to a ear, nose, throat doctor in Tucson. He's usually booked out really far in advance, but it wasn't obviously an emergency, which I didn't know. So I went up there like three days later, not thinking anything of it. And he scopes me and says, you need to go to the emergency room um, immediately. Your airway, your trachea is the size of a pinch off coffee straw. <gasps> so not just a coffee straw, but a pinch coffee straw. And he oh says, my I gosh. Don't, I don't know how your baby is breathing and alive. I don't even know how you are like alive right now. Oh my God. So I was That's like terrifying. <laughs> the funny thing is I was like, do you think maybe I could like eat dinner before I go over there? And he was like, no, no, you need to get there right now. And I was like so mad because I just wanted to go to Red Lobster. Oh anyway, gosh. so I get admitted to TMC. Luckily, all of this, I ended up getting on access with this pregnancy, but it didn't backtrack oh. all of Blaze's stuff. So Blaze was still not covered. It was just me and Raven that were covered. And Blaze during this time is still having seizures. We're just trying to deal with my stuff and Blaze's stuff at the same time. And I'm taking oh him gosh. to like neurology appointments and stuff like that. But anyway, so yeah. That kind of just came became like regular life. Anytime I needed to go take him to a neurology appointment, I did not throw up that day. Wow. They were the only amazing. days that I felt completely normal. Anyways, so I get checked in. They say I need a trach, a tracheotomy, tracheostomy put in and I get traped. I'm like, you know, they, they hold off. I'm in the hospital for two weeks, I think before they do that, because they want to get me to 31 weeks pregnancy. Uh, just so that if I have to go and if they have to deliver the baby, so they prepped me for a C-section, did all the things you do for a C-section. I, and then put me under, I did not know if I was going to wake up with a baby with no baby. I don't know if I was going to wake up, but I did just, I told them like, if you take this baby out of me and she doesn't make it, you know, you better not wake me up. <laughs> Cause I was like, I'm worked way too hard to get her here. So they prepped me for a C-section. I had to sign a paper that talked about a C-section. I also had to sign a paper saying that I gave them permission to tie my tubes if I had the baby. And I said, I don't want to sign this because if you, if I don't have a baby, I'm not, I'm going to want another baby. And they said, you will die. If you have another baby, you need to sign that your tubes are going to get tight. Anyways, they didn't force me, but Jeff was like, sign the freaking paperwork for not having more babies. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. So I, they put me under to do the trach and, but I went to sleep. No, like my last thought was this baby better be in my belly or in my arms or else they'll be held to pay. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I went way too long suffering in my bed, in my dark room by myself because I could not handle anybody. So I woke up, my baby was still in my belly. They had um, someone from the OB come and like, get like right away as soon as I woke up they put like a monitor on my stomach so I could hear her heartbeat and then they put the is it the sonogram or the ultrasound wherever the video yeah on my tummy so that I could see her and she was doing great and I felt like I could breathe it was a weird thing though but I couldn't talk I remember I came out of that they put a trach in me that was too big for my trachea but 
it was they couldn't switch it out because it would be too soon. So they I had they had to leave it in me for a week. So I couldn't talk. So I'm like pregnant in ICU and I'm not I cannot talk at all. Like they had speech therapy come in and try to talk, like get me to talk. And I just there's no it was like completely closed. So it was just it was interesting. So yeah. I was in ICU with this trach for a week, not being able to talk, totally, completely stuck in my mind, (laughs) pregnant, but they let me see Raven every single day while I was in ICU. Normally when people get trach, they're like in a coma yeah, because it's like a car accident. Like, like I was the only, my ENT, he was like, you're like the only like healthy, like healthy patient that I've had to trach like this before. Like I was like a phenomenon at the hospital. And then all the ICU nurses were like, you better not go into labor because we don't do labor up here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So yeah. And then I got out of the hospital Thanksgiving day. They ended up putting a smaller trach in and I could cover it and talk, which was great and weird. But I had to learn how to do like all the trach care like I got came home with like huge equipment. It was crazy to, you know, section out my trach and uh, to be able to switch out my trach. Jeff switched my trach out for me, like literally took it out. You could see my hole. It was crazy. It was crazy. Uh, Anyways, and then cleaned it, like get a Q-tip in there and clean it. Put a little KY jelly on the, on the new, <laughs> new trach and like get it down there. And I have to cough up all of the KY jelly. Uh, it was nasty. And I did that. That's so humbling. I feel like. Yeah. So we, that was November. We got out November 25th and I ended up, I saw the trach and I ended up going into labor with Raven on December 27th. She wasn't due until like January 17th, somewhere around there. Wow. So when I ended up giving birth to her, she was 34 and a half weeks. So she was preemie, but she weighed six pounds, four ounces and didn't have to be on oxygen and was completely healthy. They said she was like the healthiest baby in the NICU. And I had like my own nurse with me, but it was funny because no one knew how to help me with my trach. So Holly just had her baby and on one of those days that's supposed to be beautiful and wonderful, you hold your sweet baby and soak it all in. That's not really how it was going for Holly. When you have a C-section, you can't take a bath because you can't submerge. But when you have a trach, you can't really take a shower. Like, but you have to watch, they want you to wash off because you're like, you know, you just had labor. So they had like a special shower for me. I had to go into another room so they could do, and I, they put like a dog cone, an upside down dog cone. So oh my gosh. like right here, because it's so dangerous. Cause if you get any water in there, it goes straight to your lungs. I remember being in the shower and like, I, I'm trying to nursing is not my favorite thing to do. It's really hard for me. And so my chest was hurting. My incision was hurting. I, you know, I had this trach, no one could hear me cry because you could only hear me cry or talk if I covered my trach, but I was holding on to like, like my shower head and my washcloth. And I couldn't cover my trach because it was covered by the cone and because my hands were wet. And so I was like bawling hysterically alone in the bathroom. Oh like my gosh. Bleeding and milk coming out. And uh. I just like, it was like, but it, in my mind, I'm like, there's someday that this is going to be like one of those things that you're just like, I can't believe I did that. Can't believe I was strong. And then, you know, you just dry your eyes and you just like, you just have to be grateful for what you have. Dry your eyes and be grateful for what you have. Thoughts that I never had when I was going through my trials with Jackson. The baby's here. We didn't think she was going to make it, you know, I, and then it was just like this empowering thing. Like I actually did this, like, like, look at me, like, look what I'm doing. It kind of went from like this traumatizing thing to like, oh my gosh, my body is kind of amazing Wow, that I could do all of this. Listening to all this, I really began to wonder, how did Holly handle all of this at the same time with her health and Blaze's health? There was never something that felt like both of us were too overwhelmed with our situations. It was either Blaze was having a really bad day and I was having a good enough day to be able to handle things. So like when Jeff was with me having Raven, Blaze was doing really good and like stayed with my mother-in-law and was just had like doing, doing good. 
back then I think his medication was giving like maybe like he was having a seizure a week, a seizure every few days. And they wow. weren't grand, they weren't like grand mall at this point. They were just the gelastic seizures. How long after you had Raven did you have the trach? Well, they said they they wanted to do an exploratory surgery. So not necessarily getting it removed. They thought I was gonna have it for at least a year, six months to a year. But they wanted to do like an exploratory surgery, but I would have had to be like under sedation and been on like painkillers. And I felt really important that Raven nursed as long as she could. I had spent hours and hours like pumping and practicing and then feet bottles feeding her. It was crazy, but I just felt determined. Like I needed to do this, but it was hard because I couldn't talk to her while I was nursing her. I couldn't talk to her while I was changing her because I had to have one hand to talk. And so it was this weird thing of like, anytime I, like I would be doing the dishes and I'd be crying because the kids would be yelling and I couldn't like blaze and time would be fighting. And I couldn't plug the trach to be able to tell the kids to stop yelling or to stop fighting because my my hands are wet. Yeah. So just things like that were like, I'm changing my daughter and I can't sing to her, laugh with her or play with her while I'm changing my daughter. Cause I have to have one hand on her and one hand changing the diaper. Yeah. Like just crazy things like that. Or like when I was nursing and pumping, like I'm holding her and I'm trying to pump. Like I can't talk to her or hum to her or sing to her, anything like that. Anyway. So we, I, I was able to nurse her and get enough formula stacked or not formula, but breast milk stacked up. So like, I think I was like seven to nine weeks of nurse, like breastfed. And then went in for my exploratory surgery and they decided to take my trach out. And so I didn't know that until I woke up and I was like freaking out. Did your hole close just like Jackson's G-tube? Yeah. yeah. It's like within, so weird. within it's like a piercing. Like 30 minutes, I could feel it already closing. Polly goes on to explain how hard it is for her to remember how to breathe through her mouth and nose because she was used to breathing through her throat. I would have like anxiety attacks and panic attacks because I would wake up in the middle of the night feeling like I can't breathe because my mouth, I would, I for, I forgot to breathe, how to breathe. It was the weirdest thing. Oh my gosh, that's so crazy. Too. For a long time, I, when I coughed, I would <laughs> cough through my throat. So I'd cover my trach instead of my mouth. So <laughs> then I'd start coughing and I'd be like, oh, I mean, it's up here. You're like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <double> handing it. <laughs> yeah. So you woke up without the trach and Mm -hmm. they discovered that you had to like, they, did they scrape out all that scar tissue? Is that when that happened? Yeah. So they did like, well, they did a balloon dilation where they put a balloon down there and then stretch it all out. And then they cauterize and laser and like all of the scar tissue. And then that lasted about a year. And then I started having more breathing problems. So they did another dilation and that dilation lasted about seven months and I had started having breathing problems again. So I got another dilation and that one lasted about five months. And then after that, I didn't have any insurance, like Blaze's insurance was good, but mine wasn't. Uh. So I went without care for a little while, which was not good. And I went into, I went to see two ENTs in like 2017 that would take my insurance and neither of them wanted to take my case because it was too risky. They said they would just wanted to trach me. Uh. Yeah. And I needed to get my gallbladder taken out, but oh they my gosh, wouldn't take I my gallbladder my out. Gallbladder. Yeah. <laughs> they wouldn't take my gallbladder out because they didn't know how to, they didn't trust, they didn't know how my, my airway was. So they didn't know if, they, if a pediatric tube would even fit down my throat for that. Meanwhile, after many studies and tests on Blaze, they come up with some sort of diagnosis for his situation. He was diagnosed with LGS, Lennox Gestalt syndrome, I think in like 2016, maybe 16, 17. It's an epilepsy syndrome that's really hard to treat. And basically, a lot of times people that have it end up in like wheelchair because they are so many it's like he collects seizures like baseball cards like it's hard to treat and medicate because his brain is constantly reformulating where the seizures are going to be they fire almost equally from both sides they can't tell where the seizures start where the seizures end and he has every type of seizure you can think of and so they medicate 
to try to reduce seizures. And then another different type of seizure will pop up. So like right now, Blaze is on like seven different medications for his epilepsy, but there's so much brain damage that can be done that generally kids his age that have had it as long as he has end up in wheelchairs because there's so much brain damage and he's a little developmentally delayed. He ended up getting held back in first grade um, to do first grade over again. So, and he's kind of, he's 14, but mentally probably around 10, I feel like he's hit puberty. And so I think he's changed a little bit. It's so interesting being on the outside looking in because as her sister, I know it's always going on, but I only have to tune into it when I tune into it, you know? So for her, it's nonstop. Blaze or her is either having a problem. So I guess it's Holly's turn. In 2018, my breathing got so bad that my kids couldn't wake me up. So for Blaze, oh Blaze takes medication at like 730 in the morning and Jeff had gone turkey hunting. And then I was on steroids. And the night before I ended up taking twice as many steroids as I normally do because I could not breathe. Wow. So I went to bed and I woke up at like 1130 and Blaze had his medicines at 730. And the kids were all around me and Titan was like, mom. I've been trying to wake you up since 7.30. Luckily, Blaze Titan gave Blaze his medicine. And Titan goes, I, I don't know what was like, I could not get you to wake up. Like you were breathing, but I could not get you to wake up. And that scared me. So I was like, I'm just going to go walk over to the ER to get a breathing treatment. And I'll be back in a little bit. I just love how casual she was about, I'm just going to walk on over to the ER. And long story short, she got shipped back off to Tucson. Luckily with a miraculous loophole in the system her insurance was able to cover part of her visit and her doctor that she'd seen before was quite shocked he like did not know what to do with me because he just was like this is even worse than when you were pregnant he was like I don't even know like how you're breathing right now and they loaded me up with a ton of steroids and I sat in the hospital for like two months while they tried to figure out what to do with me so I ended up getting um miracle surgery from Dr. Who. He did a tracheal resection and that was traumatizing and I did not want to get it done, but I did it. They took out a part like three or four rings of my trachea and then stitched my chin to my chest. And so and then I was on voice rest for a week then too, so I couldn't talk. Okay, real quick, just to get a glimpse into this, if you're not driving or anything that is dangerous. Could you just take a moment and put your chin to your chest? Feel how that feels and then stop talking. Give that about two minutes and see how you handle it. Holly was like that for a week. Ugh, it's just heartbreaking to think of my oldest sister stuck like that. And not only is this her first time ever not being able to talk, but now she has to go a second time speechless. But this time worse with her chin stitched to her chest Hmm. or eat I couldn't eat or swallow so they had a suction because I couldn't swallow my own spit I had to suction it out I wasn't allowed to have anything going down that area that they resected Blaze was really bad at like getting worse at this time so I was super worried about that I was worried like how like I did not know was like I didn't have a car I don't know anybody in Tucson. We don't have family in Tucson. We never go to Tucson. So I'm stuck in this hospital in Tucson and I don't know when I'm going to get out. Through all of this as Holly's little sister, I was receiving hilarious memes and texts through Facebook messenger and text messages, family group messaging, inspirational quotes. And It just amazes me how from the outside looking in, she just seemed like everything was totally fine. And so I asked Holly, what kept her going? What keeps her going and able to do these things that are so hard for so long? And this is what she had to say. Um, I think that I think in the beginning, like I felt like I needed to kind of save face and like only put for the positive things that like people didn't know need to know what I was going through because everyone else's life is hard and they don't need to be worried about like 
what I'm going through because they're all like everyone has their own little struggle. So for a long time, I did just post and share like the highlight reels of my life because I just felt like I didn't want anyone to compare their hard to mine and feel like less than. So um, I didn't share. And then it occurred to me, like when people share what they're going through, it helps me connect with them and also helps me feel like I can get through what I'm supposed to get through. And I feel like pull to share all of the things. Like sometimes I know I'm an oversharer, but I just felt like it was super important for, for people like, what's the point of me going, like us going through these things if we can't learn and love and grow with other people? So I did start getting more real with my posts and sharing things, not because I didn't want people to feel bad for me, but because I wanted people to feel empowered by the trials that they were going through. There's power in sharing. There's definitely a more tactful way of doing it. I think people can tell if it's a pity me type of sharing or if it's a like, this is what I'm going through. And I think it's okay. Like, it's okay to share all aspects of like what you're going through, like the hard parts, the sad parts, the happy parts, like joking around. I think having a sense of humor is huge, not taking things too seriously. But there's also strength in numbers. And that I feel like the more people that can pray for you and be in your side, in your corner is empowering. It like allows them to come of their, out of their own trials and tribulations and essentially help and serve someone else. It, it helps you get out of your own stuff for a little bit. It's these hard moments when we realize we have two options. You put your big girl panties on and you keep going. You overcome, you learn, and you can either grow deeper and connect or you kind of turn away and start to disconnect. It really is up to us to decide which way we're going to take things. I think it strengthened my marriage for sure. I think you can, it can go one of two ways. I think you can have resentment towards one another but I think our marriage my marriage has strengthened because of it and I think it's because we are open with each other with how we're feeling and we go there like we we have those morbid conversations that no one wants to have like what would we what are we going to do if you know because at you know blaze right now has like a lesion that's a tumor on his brain that's not in a good spot to operate and then we just found out today that um, they want to do a craniotomy and remove part of his brain. It's going to be like a massive surgery. And uh, we have to talk about those things like, okay, like, what are we going to do if Blaze doesn't make it through this? Or like, we have to talk about our biggest, deepest fears with each other because keeping them in makes us feel like we're not, I don't, like, I'm not connecting or I'm trying to shield Jeff from these hard things that I'm thinking, whereas he's thinking them too. We're all thinking them. I just will talk up, talk about them. And then they don't sit and fester and feel like you're alone in how you're feeling. I feel like as a hairdresser and as you just who you are, you love to make people feel beautiful inside and out, like to make the mm-hmm. outside match the inside. Mm-hmm. And I think going through those ugly moments in your your life somehow turned into something beautiful to where you you're so much I don't know stronger and better at lifting others yeah I think well I think just struggling with depression anxiety in general it allows you to have more empathy towards people that struggle with those things you know I think every woman to some degree has those struggles of unworthiness um you know having anxiety about the way that they look and feel and you know, their weights and stuff like that. And I just feel like I have this talent that I'm so grateful that I get because I didn't think I was going to have it because for a while I couldn't do it because of the trach and my breathing mm-hmm. issues. I had to stop doing it for like seven years and that was so hard. But I think it, what it did is it made me realize like one, the power of touch, like, like there's healing power and just someone just touching you while they're talking to you and letting you vent or whatever, you know? And then going from feeling just not great about yourself, like physically and mentally and all of the things to being 
touched and loved by somebody who does not see you the way that you see you. Like I literally, like I just, you know, we, we all see ourselves in a much darker light than what we are. I just feel honored that I get to like help them look how I see them. Does that make sense? Like, like their inward beauty is like, I'm helping them with their inward beauty on the outside. So I don't know. I just feel like I have just such an awesome job to be able to, to do that. And I think it's made me definitely a lot more empathetic towards people. I'm a better listener now, I think, because of it. I've learned to hold my tongue a little bit better and not react. Oh, how grateful I am to have Holly as a big sister to look up to and to keep inspiring me. Um, so I asked, where does everything stand now? So my health is doing really good. I haven't seen an ENT for a long time, but I know what signs to look for with my breathing, like what that's, those feelings feel like. I also recognize that when I'm having anxiety, I have the similar feelings to my trait, like my breathing issues. And so I have since gone to a life coach and did like a seven month session with a life coach to teach me some tools to be able to help me with my anxiety and to also embrace my anxiety. So not treat it like it's this thing that I need to avoid, or it's, it's bad to have that it is, you know, it's a part of me and I can, I can't, I'm in control of how I want to feel about it. Like there are some days where I'm like, Hey, I am going to sit in my anxious feelings. I am going to sit in this, whatever feeling that I'm feeling. And I'm okay with that. Like I give my permission to have those feelings and not feel guilty about having the feelings that I'm feeling. Um, there's some days where I'm like, Kate, I am giving myself permission to avoid all of these feelings. And I know that I'll deal with them later, but I am giving myself permission to push these to the side and deal with them later. Like, I just feel like I have more grace for myself since I've done life coaching and I've been able to get myself off of anxiety medication for the most part, which I'm grateful for. So a lot of coping skills in that. So I'm doing great health wise for the most part. Blaze, on the other hand, has been struggling pretty bad. We're trying to figure out what's going on with him. So he is supposed to have a surgery scheduled for this Thursday. It was supposed to be just like a routine, a routine brain surgery. I do that with quotation marks with just like a a robot that was just going to do two little incisions that just caught like three little incisions and take out a team. It's like a uh, oblation. So it's basically like cauterizing little areas of the brain and there's like one stitch and the recovery is pretty easy. Um, but they decided he has a team of like eight or nine people, um, at Phoenix children's and they all decided that they think that they need to go in and do a a full on craniotomy where they go in and like remove part of his skull and go in and take out part of it, like remove part of his brain and then send that off to biopsy. And it's going to be a pretty brutal recovery. And a lot longer in the hospital, but I feel like that is the right step, even though it's scarier. I feel like it's the right step because the ablation helped for two months and then was almost worse afterwards. I feel like we continuously pray to know what we need to do with Blaze and he has a good team, but a lot of people around him that support him. Yeah, I feel calm. I feel anxious and nervous. I don't want to see my son in pain. I said that um, the two things that are going to be their main concern is keeping his brain swelling down and keeping his pain managed because they said it will be, uh, pain will be a, is a huge factor with this type of surgery and where they're going in at. So that's what I'm not looking forward to, which I know you can relate to that, seeing (laughs) your child in pain. (laughs) Yeah, I just hope that, Luckily, Jackson was a baby and didn't really remember any of it. He saw a picture of himself the other day and he said, oh, that looks painful. I'm glad I was asleep. <laughs> You're like, you were not asleep. The human spirit is just incredible. In the dark and ugly and traumatic, we find beauty and lessons and somehow joy. So in order to connect deeper, I ask, and I will always ask, what do you wish people saw beyond your white picket fence? Sometimes I think my white picket fence is more of like a brick wall. I I have a hard 
kind of a hard exterior. I'm a little bit hard to get to know outside of like, like my salon and like, I'm not the most outgoingly friendly person, like in grocery stores and at church and things like that. Um, and I think it's because I, I, I have a hard time with like small talk because I, I feel people's things so deeply and I connect with people so deeply that just substance, like one reason why I love what I do is because I get to, I get to really dig in deep and be a part of something with somebody. And it's so hard for me to do small talk and things like that. So I think a lot of people look at me and think of that. I'm kind of a harder person and that a lot of things probably don't bother me, which really is kind of true. I don't there, you know, it's, I don't get my uh, feathers ruffled very easily, but I am not a hard person. I don't think I'm a hard person at all. I just have so much that I'm personally dealing with that. I don't want it to come off like my issues are more important than your issues. So it's hard for me to be on a surface level with people. I like when people get into my chair and talk about the things that they are struggling with and going through. And I don't even need to tell them all the things that I'm going through at all. I just can use my empathy. I can use my empathy and the things that I've learned to be able to help them get through what they need to get through without them having to know all the nitty gritty of what I'm going through. I like to be able to use my lessons learned silently to be able to help other people. So I think that's why I come off as hard is because I really have a hard time with just like small talk. I really do enjoy having conversations with people and helping them feel better about the situation that they're in without them feeling like they can't talk to me about their stuff because mine is so much harder than them. I all my my one of my favorite sayings is hard is hard, no matter how hard your heart is. Like hard is hard. It doesn't matter how simple yeah. it is to other people. Like you don't compare your like, you know, your heart is your heart. And I do have RBS. <laughs> I do have RBS. I'm in deep thought all the time. I'm either all the- thinking all the time or I'm thinking nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Since the recording of this interview, Blaze was admitted to the hospital and had his craniotomy, and he was supposed to be in there 5 to 12 days. And in true Iron Blaze fashion, he got out of the hospital in four days and is at home recovering and doing great. So I will leave a link in the bio for you to follow his journey and also Holly's Instagram, where you can follow her hair and salon information. And thank you so much for tuning into this episode. That is the woman behind the chair. Subscribe, leave a review, and all that jazz. Also, if you know anyone with a great story that's looking to share and connect, send them my way at the website beyondwithchelsea.com. Thanks so much.